70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. My name is Yuri, and I've been listening to KBS World Radio's Japanese program since 2020. I've not been able to visit Korea for three years now due to the COVID 19 pandemic, and KBS World Radio has been a bridge between me and Korea during that time. What I like the most about it is that you can get the latest information that's not even available on the internet yet. I also enjoy the YouTube live streams that started last year as I can communicate with the hosts in real time. Congratulations on the evolution from shortwave radio all the way to YouTube. Happy 70th birthday, and I'll look forward to more fun shows down the road. Seventy years with KBS World Radio, seventy years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. It is the 10th of March, Friday, and welcome to Korea 24. I'm your host, Kwon Jang Woo. A former aide to the Democratic Party chief, Lee Jae Myung, was found dead at his residence on Thursday. He reportedly left a suicide note urging Lee to leave politics. We'll have more in news briefing shortly. Coming up on Weekly Economy Review, we take a look at the latest inflation figures, which are showing signs of slowdown, as well as the sharp rise in private education spending. And then for Movie Spotlight, we review Suzume, the latest Japanese animation to hit Korean cinemas, and the Oscar nominated drama Ta. We have all that and more for today's Korea 24. Police have launched an investigation into the apparent suicide of a former chief of staff for the main opposition Democratic Party chairman Lee Jae Myung. Our KBS World Radio news editor Koo Hee Jin joins us in the studio now to brief us on the tragic development as well as our other headlines of the day. Hee Jin, hello. Hello, Jang Now, this marks the fifth death among those allegedly involved in corruption scandals related to the DP chief. But first, can you tell us who discovered the body and what case he was involved in? Well, according to police and fire officials, E's former aide, only identified by his family name of John, was found dead at his home in Gyeonggi province city of Songnam at around 6.45pm on Thursday. Police believe John died by suicide given the circumstances and evidence at the scene. John served as E's policy secretary during his term as Songnam mayor before becoming his first chief of staff after E was elected governor of the province. John had also served as senior manager of Gyeonggi Housing and Urban Development Corporation. John's family reportedly told police that he was investigated by the prosecution last year in relation to a bribery case involving E surrounding uh, Songnam Football Club. 
There have been reports that the aide left a suicide note urging E to leave politics. Can you tell us more about this? Well, according to investigators who declined to be identified, told uh, reporters on a Friday that John left a six-page suicide note. On the first page, John reportedly called on E to step away from politics and said there should be no more sacrifices, a comment that appears to refer to the suffering of people around E due to various suspicions and investigations surrounding the party chief, lamenting the unfairness over his booking as a suspect and questioning by the prosecution. Chon's note reportedly went on to say that he had done nothing but work hard. In the remaining pages, the deceased expressed distress over being investigated by the prosecution and conveyed his apologies to his family. Still, the DP leader, Yi Jae-myung, painted a different picture, blaming the prosecution for causing the apparent suicide death of his longtime aide. Uh, can you elaborate on what he said as well? Well, at, Supreme, at a Supreme Council meeting on Friday, he said the news of the former aide's death, identified by his family, John, was difficult to believe and that he cannot forgive the prosecution for its overzealous probe into corruption allegations against him. The DP chief urged the ruling faction not to abuse such an unfair death as a political tool before describing the prosecution's investigation under the Yun administration as a hunt that will never end until the target is caught. Speaking about the deceased, he said Chan was the most upright, faithful, devoted and competent public official he had ever met, suggesting that he had likely decided to end his life due to the prosecution's manipulation of its investigation. Well, we'll leave that story there for today and turn to some other headlines. Let's uh, turn to North Korea first. The regime said on Friday that its leader Kim Jong-un oversaw a fire assault drill by an artillery unit a day earlier. What more do we know? Well, the North state-run Korean Central News Agency said that Kim gave field guidance to the Hwasong Artillery Unit charged with an important operational task of the Korean People's Army on the Western Front on Thursday. Overseeing the exercise, Kim reportedly stressed the need to overwhelmingly respond to any war preparations by the enemy. Kim was once again accompanied by his young daughter, Chue, whose appearance has been notable at major recent events, uh, including a massive rally held last month. The KCNA said the artillery unit demonstrated its capability to respond in an actual war by striking an enemy operations airfield targeted in a simulated drill. On Thursday, South Korea's military said the North fired multiple short range ballistic missiles towards the Yellow Sea from the northwestern port city of Nampo at around 6.20 p.m. Moving on now to the upcoming South Korea-Japan summit that was announced yesterday. Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida has vowed to hold candid talks in next week's summit with President Yoon Sung-yeol in a bid to strengthen bilateral relations. What else did he say? Well, according to Kyodo News Agency, during a liaison meeting between the government and ruling party on Friday, Kishida positively assessed South Korea's uh, solution to the wartime forced labour compensation issue, and he pledged to exert efforts on the summit level to step up strategic cooperation bilaterally and also with Washington. Speaking to reporters the previous day, the Prime Minister said he will take... Uh, Yun's visit to Japan as an opportunity to bolster relations. 
During the summit, the two are expected to affirm the resumption of what's called shuttle diplomacy or making regular mutual visits to each other's country. They are also expected to touch on various pending issues, including Tokyo's trade curbs and putting back on track their mutual intelligence sharing general security of military information agreement or GSOMIA. Meanwhile, Seoul's foreign ministry said on Friday, Japanese firms accused of wartime forced labour may take part in a tentatively named future fund under discussion between the two countries' business communities. Can you tell us more? Well, speaking to the foreign press, a senior ministry official was asked whether the accused Japanese firms will take part in the so-called Future Fund or a domestic foundation that is tasked with compensating forced labour victims on South Korea's own terms without involving Japan. The official said the firms are not like not likely to contribute to the foundation, which is set up under the Interior Ministry in the immediate future, but stressed that the door remains open and noted that the Japanese government said it will not oppose their participation. The official added that the government will make every effort to persuade dissenting uh, victims to accept the uh, compensation. However, the Korean public's response to the government's announcement on the issue of compensation has been lukewarm. A KBS survey showed that the move is largely unpopular with the general public, with over 70% in favour of Seoul exercising its right to indemnity from the liable Japanese firms. Can you break down the figures for us? Well, a KBS survey finds that more than half of respondents view the government's compensation plan as a wrong decision. Negative response Responses accounted for 53.1% versus the 39.8% that approved, with opinions split by age groups, as those in their 20s and 60s viewed the plan positively, while a majority uh, of those in their 30s to 50s disapproved. Opinions were close on the plan's effect on the development of future-oriented relations between Seoul and Tokyo, with 51.5% believing it will not help against 46.1% who believe it will, a difference within the survey's margin of error. The phone survey of 1,000 adults nationwide was conducted by Hangul Research on Tuesday and Wednesday. And finally, the country's current account balance swung back into the red in January due to sluggish exports. Can you give us the details? Well, according to tentative data released by the Bank of Korea on Friday, the country's current account balance uh, logged a deficit of 4.52 billion US dollars in January, reversing from a surplus of 2.68 billion dollars a month earlier. The balance of goods posted a deficit of 7.46 billion dollars in January, posting a shortfall for the fourth consecutive month to plunge by 9 billion dollars from a surplus of 1.54 billion dollars a year earlier. The balance of services also marked a shortfall of $3.27 billion to expand the deficit by $2.44 billion from a year ago. That's all for our news briefing today. Thank you for those updates. Thank you. Inflation in South Korea dipped below 5% for the first time in 10 months in February. 
According to Statistics Korea on Monday, the Consumer Price Index rose 4.8% last month on year, easing from January's 5.2%. We'll take a closer look at the February figures for Weekly Economy Review now. We'll also look at new data showing a jump in private education spending last year, reaching record levels. Helping us look beyond the numbers, we have joining us in the studio, economics professor Yang jun Sak from the Catholic University of Korea. Professor Yang, hello. Hello. OK, a y let's look at those inflation figures first. Consumer prices rose 4.8% on-year in February. That's down from 5.2% in January. What do you make of the slowdown in inflation in Korea? Is okay. it a slowdown? Well, uh, January's number was actually a bit higher than December's numbers, so we were worried about uh, inflation accelerating. Uh, but right now, it does look like we're returning to normal. Uh, it, the uh, inflation was on a downward path before January, uh, but January numbers was uh, higher than December, so we were worried about it. But uh, Let's look at the monthly numbers because things are changing very quickly. So Mm. not inflation over 12 months, but just over the particular month. Mm. December inflation was 0.16%. January was whopping 0.76%. And February was 0.25%. So as I said, we seem to be returning to a path. uh, It's not exactly as low as it was in December, Mm. uh, but it's generally on a lower path. So why was it? So high in February, uh, in January. Why was it an anomaly? Well, it, it was basically because of two things: food and utilities. Now, uh, in January, inflation for agricultural goods just for the month was six point two percent. Now, uh, that is a combination of what usually happens around Lunar New Year's, uh, where the inflation, food inflation, goes up substantially, mm. uh, and a uh, very cold winter. So we had higher. Uh, vegetable prices than usual. Uh, But uh, after Lunar New Year's, uh, the uh, food inflation usually goes down and sometimes even goes into a deflation negative growth. We haven't gone there yet, but uh, food inflation is down substantially uh, in February. And then the second factor was utilities. Now, Utilities, uh, we all remember the uh, trouble we had with the uh, rise in electricity and gas prices in January that hit the monthly inflation very hard. Sure. Uh, But uh, the government has been refraining from raising the prices in February, and they said that they will not raise the price uh, for the first half of the year at the very least. So uh, we should be uh, safe there for the moment. Hmm. So uh, I expect the monthly inflation to come down. And because of that, I also expect the uh, 12-month inflation to come down as well. Uh, But the problem here is utility prices. Now, uh, we talked about this in the past, but electricity prices and gas prices should have risen last year. Uh, So right now, there is a a substantial difference between uh, what the uh, utility companies should charge and what they are charging right now. So it will have to go up eventually, uh, depending on the, uh, how, uh, how much the uh, KEPCO and Korea Gas can uh, sustain itself and how quickly politically uh, uh, the government uh, will let these companies raise their prices. So it, uh, from that scenario, inflation perhaps will con- continue to be on a falling trend. But when the utility prices... 
uh, increase hits, uh, we will have perhaps another temporary bump in inflation. So inflation will go longer at the very least, and we may be in for some bumpy pass. Right, so that is not coming in until the second half of the year, as you said, and the, the government announced earlier this year. Uh, but before then, uh, the finance minister, Chu Kyung ho told reporters on Thursday that inflation might fall below 4% range starting the second quarter of 2023. What's your take on Chu's prediction there? OK, a y well, it's possible, but I think he's uh, perhaps uh, being... bit too optimistic. Mm. Uh, I think it will fall below 4% by the end of the year, whether it'll do so by uh, the second half. It's questionable. Uh, but the uh, main drivers of inflation in the past had been food and energy. Food, as we just mentioned in the last question, is uh, food inflation is a bit cyclical. So it should go down until we get somewhere near Chuseok when it goes back up again. And then energy prices so far in the year, both oil and gas have been falling. Gas prices year to date from January, it's fallen 35%. Oil prices have fallen 5.6%. Uh, so if this trend continues, there's a good chance that the inflation will continue to fall. Uh, as I said, I think 4% sometime in the second quarter is a bit optimistic, but we will definitely reach below 4% sometime during the year, as long as nothing else goes wrong. Sure. So inflation is slowing down if we look at the overall year uh, forecast, but it's still far above the target range of 2%, right? Right. And uh, I think one problem that they will have is if inflationary expectations uh, go up rather than down, then they will have much harder time controlling inflation. Right now, inflationary expectation is 4%, uh, but hopefully uh, it'll continue to fall, partially because Korean economy is slowing down. Okay, let's switch gears now to our second topic. Private education in South Korea posted record highs for both spending and participation last year. Data from Citizens Korea showed that spending on private education came to roughly 26 trillion won, or some 20 billion US dollars in 2022. That's up nearly 11% on year. The figure is the largest to be posted since 2007, when the statistics agency began to make related announcements. This has shocked a lot of people, especially when considering that the number of children is decreasing in Korea. So, Professor, what are the causes that have led to such a huge increase in spending on private education? Well, there's a structural problem, and we'll get to that, the long-term problem a bit later. But why was it particularly high during the last year? It's probably because of the after-effects of the pandemic. Uh, there's... Uh, concerns about quality of education because people were studying at home uh, and they, uh, because you could not spend money on services, they perhaps had more uh, income that they could spend on, spending, uh, spend on uh, private education. So that probably bumped the uh, private education spending up a bit. Mm. But fundamental reason is that Korea has a dual labor market and there's a lot of competition for so-called good jobs. Now, for good job, what we call good jobs, they're mostly in government, uh, large companies, financial sector. Uh, they have high, not only higher pay, but higher benefits, uh, higher job security, and higher prestige, mm. whereas the uh, lower-tier jobs, they're mostly in small and medium-sized enterprises. Uh, they have, obviously, less pay, less benefit, less prestige. Uh, but what they do have is uh, excess 
uh, demand for labor. Mm, so they okay. actually don't have enough workers to fill up their jobs. Mm. Now, uh, obviously, if you're a young person, you want to get this good job rather than a, a mediocre job. Right. So there's a lot of competition for good jobs. But as I said, once you get a good job, there's a lot of uh, job security. They cannot fire you easily. Right. So in order to get hired for these good jobs, the uh, large companies, the, uh, they uh, look at what information they have, and the best information that they can get is what school did you come out of and what's your grade point average. Right. So you start a competition there. Right. And then there's uh, sort of a, a red queens race where you have to run faster to stay in one place. Uh, when one student or one parent uh, wants their kids to have an advantage, so they give their kids more private education, then other parents will have to follow just to maintain the same pace. Right. So it's sort of an escalating uh, escalating uh, fight that has no winners. Uh, so uh, we've been seeing this for about 20 years now, and it's a chronic problem. Uh, we try to fix it by changing the education policy, but my feeling is that we need to have labor reform rather than education reform if you want to get rid of this problem. Right, so it's a chronic problem, you're saying. Uh, do you think this trend is going to continue then? From an economist's vantage point, is this something that the government needs to address to correct as such? Well, when I was uh, in high school, they actually tried to uh, get rid of private education. Now, that is theoretically one way of doing it. Mm. But the problem is uh, there was a lot of problems with getting rid of private education. Public education was just not good enough. And then there are some students who actually need help from private tutors to keep up. Uh, so uh, that plan was scrapped, and now we have private education back again. Uh, the reason that I say that labor uh, reform is the answer is that if you take a look at United States, then uh, when you graduate from a good school compared to uh, graduates from, say, a middle-tier school, they do earn more at the beginning. But that wage difference cuts out in about five to ten years. Mm. So you don't see as much competition in the United States for uh, private edu uh, to get into a good university or a lot of this uh, private education, at least not as much as Korea. Uh, but in order to do that, you need to fire workers that are in these good jobs uh, that aren't working out. That means less job security. Uh, Countries like England, they have done that. So for the uh, first two years, it is easier to fire workers. Uh, but when they tried to have this policy in France, uh, they had a national riot. <laughs> and you could imagine whether Korea follows the English path or sure, French path. Sure. Uh, I don't mean to laugh there, but yes, uh, yes, it's quite extreme reaction, certainly. OK. We'll have to leave it there, Professor. We've been speaking to Professor Yang jun Sak from the Catholic University of Korea. Thank you, as always, for your analysis and your time. Thank you. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index fell 24.50 points, or 1.01% on Friday, to close the week at 2,394.59. The Takebi Kosdaq also fell, shedding 20.62 points, or 2.55%, to close at 788.60. On the foreign exchange, the local currency weakened to one against the U.S. dollar, closing the day at 1,324.21.
You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. Next up, it's Korea Trending, our daily segment where we take a look at some of the other news headlines that have been trending online. And for that, we have joining us in the studio, Walter Lee, one of our contributors for this segment. Walter, hello. It's good to see you. Hello, Jang. It's always good to see you. Let's head straight into our stories today. Walter, what do you have for us first? Yeah, okay. So a report has been released which suggests that many coastal cities in South Korea, such as Busan, could sink underwater by 2100 as a result of climate change. Now, the Korea Hydrographic and Oceanographic Agency, or KHOOA, unveiled on Sunday a new study that predicts the nation's sea level rising by as much as 82 centimeters. Now, the agency conducted the analysis jointly with a team led by Professor Cho Yang-gi of Seoul National University School of Earth and Environmental Sciences. Okay, so 82 centimetres, that's a little under three foot. How do they come to that conclusion? They analysed the average growth in the sea levels of waters around the nation, including the East Sea and also Yellow Sea. Shared socioeconomic pathways, or SSPs, were applied in making the latest analysis. SSPs are scenarios of projected socioeconomic global changes up to the year 2100. Now, they were included in the sixth assessment report of the UN Intergovernmental Panel of Climate Change to Produce greenhouse gas emissions scenarios with different climate policies. According to the KHOA, South Korea's sea levels would rise by up to 25 centimetres by 2050 and as much as 82 centimetres by 2100 based on high emissions scenario. The scenario is under the assumption that the nation maintains the current level of fossil fuel consumption and expands reckless development mainly in cities. Hmm. Now, the agency estimated that even under a low emission scenario, which involves eco-friendly economic growth, the nation's sea levels would rise by 20 centimetres by 2050 and 47 centimetres by 2100. Okay, so this puts into perspective the grave situation facing the nation, especially as Korea is a country that is surrounded by water and has many coastal towns and cities, Walter. Yeah, that's correct. So such concerns were raised following the agency's assessment. Now, according to Professor Kim Beckmin of Bukgyeong National University's Department of Environmental Atmospheric Sciences, Rising sea levels could cause serious problems if they overlap with natural disasters such as typhoons and tidal waves, which are increasing in frequency due to climate change. Indeed. So it's another stark reminder of the challenge that Korea and the world uh, faces ahead. Yes. OK, let's turn to our second story now. What do you have for us? Yeah, a very shocking and controversial story has been trending in Korea. It's about a teacher who was found to be still teaching while being investigated by police on charges of assaulting a colleague. Now, the Seoul Songbook police station said Friday that it's investigating a man in his 50s who was accused of grabbing a fellow teacher by the hair and pushing them against a wall. It is believed he then threatened the colleague with scissors. Now, the incident took place in a staff room of a middle school in Seoul's Anamdong area last Friday. Wow, sounds terrifying. Mm. Thankfully, I believe the attacker did not use the scissors in the end. Mm -hmm. But what happened next? Okay, so the man was stopped by other staff members and then apprehended by police who were dispatched to the scene. He was released soon after. Police have said the case is still under investigation. They found that the said teacher, who served as the head of the school affairs department, 
became angry at the victim and had used profane language against them last Thursday after they raised some issues. Now, the victim then immediately informed the school of the verbal attack and then requested an apology from the teacher. The alleged assault was found to have occurred the next day. Now, the suspect reportedly told police that he had grabbed the scissors because he got agitated while talking to the victim, but claimed that he had no intention to use them. Hmm. Then why pick up this yes. in the first place? Mm. Anyway, uh, what's been particularly shocking about this story is that, as you mentioned earlier, the suspect was still teaching as usual. Yes, that's right. So meanwhile, the victim is said to have taken sick leave since the incident, citing mental shock. Now, the victim has told authorities that they do not want to seek punishment against the suspect. However, the kind of assault that the teacher is accused of committing does not fall under the category of crimes that can avoid penalties on the wishes of the victim. So what this means is the teacher could still be punished if he's found guilty. Indeed. But I would also feel that the school should question whether this teacher has the right temperament to be teaching as well. I'm sure any parents of the students at the school who learn of this incident would be quite alarmed mm. as well. Okay, let's uh, continue on to our final story. What else has been trending? Yeah, so the Korean Pro Footballers Association, or KPFA, announced on Friday that it named Ulsan Hyundai FC midfielder Lee Chong-yong as the new vice president. Now, the appointment was made during the association's first board of directors meeting for this year. With regard to the new role, he vowed to exert his best efforts, adding that he will particularly focus on improving the treatment of rookie players in the K-League. Yes, he's a player you may know if you're a fan of Korean or English football. Uh, but for our listeners who aren't familiar with the midfielder, could you uh, give us a little background information about him? Sure. So he began his professional career in 2004 with FC Seoul in the K-League. In 2009, he made the switch to Bolton Wanderers FC, who were then in the English Premier League. He played with them until 2015 before joining Ulsan Hyundai in 2020. Now, he had also spent time at Crystal Palace in the Premier League and F uh, VFL Bochum in the Bundesliga. Now, as well as playing in some of the top leagues, the midfielder also got caps for South Korea in major global competitions, including the 2007 FIFA Under-20 World Cup and the 2014 FIFA World Cup in Brazil. It seems like he could be a good fit for the role as he has the knowledge and experience from playing football both at home and abroad. Uh, did he mention what particular areas he wants to improve uh, as the vice president of the Korea Pro Footballers Association? That's a good question. So that would be increasing the salary of the rookie players. Now, he said that when starting out their careers, the players need a certain amount of money to pay for meals and living expenses. But the main issue he is raising is that for new players, the current salary is around 24 million won, or roughly 18,000 US dollars. Now, he believes that it is an extremely low amount, which doesn't take into account current consumer prices. Now, the KPFA says it has high hopes for E, given that the association has many issues to handle this year. Such issues include addressing the player's minimum wage problem, as well as seeking ways to protect their rights. Well, we certainly wish him luck in his new role. That's all for today's Career Trending. Thank you for those stories, and we'll see you next time. See you next time. Next up, it's the Movie Spotlight, our weekly segment reviewing some of the latest cinematic releases at the Korea box office and online. And of course, we cannot do that without the help of our film critics. So let's bring them in now. First to my right, we have Jason Beshevace. 
Jason, hello, it's good to see you. Hello, great to be back here. And to my left, we have Darcy Paquette back with us again. Darcy, hello, it's good to see you. Yeah, it's been a while. Yes, so welcome back. It's great <laughs> to have you back with us again. Okay, so we have two international releases to talk about this week. The first major release is a Japanese anime. A trend at the current off a box office at the moment in Korea. It is another Japanese anime. We'll get to that shortly. Uh, it's called Suzume in Korean. It's called Suzume Mundansok. Jason, what can you tell us about this uh, new animation? Yeah, no, it's a very interesting movie. It's uh, a new film from Makato Shinke, who has made half a dozen uh, films before this one, including, of course, the, the enormously successful Your Name that sold you know, well over three million tickets in Korea and uh, is the third grossing animation, uh, Japanese animation of all time. So uh, $382 million uh, worldwide. His new feature, like so many of the anime films uh, that I've watched, like Spirited Away, you know, begins really quite fantastical, mm. uh, but quickly gets really quite deep. Um, it follows the uh, character... Uh, Suzume, voiced by Nakoka Hara, who discovers a connection between, you know, you've got these strange, strange doors in the mountains, and uh, yeah, there are these kind of natural disasters. And when they open, unleashed is this kind of giant worm uh, that causes <laughs> these like giant, well, these, you know, these really bad earthquakes you know people's cell phones are kind of going off mm. and uh, she meet basically she meets this young man and they work together to try and stop these worms from causing too much damage with the help of something called keystone it's but now in the form of a kitten <laughs> it's quite hard to track down uh it's it sounds bizarre it is a bit bizarre if i'm honest and right. it gets a little bit convoluted i had to really concentrate because i watched it with korean subtitles um and um but actually, the film is not too far from reality, uh, as it's it deals with personal and national trauma in the wake in the wake of uh, you know these natural disasters that Japan Japan sadly has so so many of, uh, and firmly kind of the centre of the story is the 2011 earthquake in Japan. So um, lots lots going on in the film for sure, and mm. very very interesting. Yes, yeah, so there's this very powerful allegory at the centre of the story then. Darcy, what did you make of it? It appears there is a lot going on. <laughs> uh, perhaps it's quite hard to keep up, especially, I guess, for those less familiar with the work of uh, Makoto Shinkai and the fantastical world of Japanese animation. Yeah, I mean, it's. I mean, in some ways it makes more sense visually than it does trying to explain it. I think. <laughs> if, you, if you try to summarize the plot in words, it just sounds so bizarre. But mm. then, I mean, seeing it visually, it, it helps. And um, and emotionally too, like it kind of makes sense. Uh, there, there's a focus in the film on kind of abandoned places because it's these abandoned places where these, these doors appear. And uh, I mean, the director talked about how the fact that, you know, with a declining population or populations growing older there are more and more places in japan that are being abandoned mm. uh, and so there's that i mean it has that kind of emotional feel to it in some ways uh, it's a story of this young girl and it's kind of coming of age at the same time and that's about these places that have been left behind uh, and then yeah it eventually does move up to the part of the country that was so badly affected by that march 11th mm. disaster so i mean that emotionally there's a big range in the film but 
you know, it's really well done. I was impressed, you know, visually and, uh, and in terms of the imagination of the film, uh, it's not a kid's film in any way, I think. Uh, yeah, it's, it's pretty heavy. <laughs> um, but yeah, I was really impressed with it. And, you know, I, I mean, your name was also another example of a film that, you know, it feels very realistic in some ways. And then you get these moments of fantasy that kind of emerge from reality that are just really striking. Mm. Uh, so, so yeah, I mean, definitely there's, um, I'm impressed by this director and I think that he's probably got a, a lot more uh, right. coming for us in the future. So he tackles that aspect quite sensitively then the earthquakes and the real trauma that the Japanese people went through. Yeah. I mean, that does seem to be one of his big motivations for making this film. And, you know, it's been, you know, tw- 12 years now. And mm. so that, um, there is a younger generation in Japan who won't be as familiar with it because they were quite young when it happened. And, uh, and he, I guess he wanted to make a film that kind of kept hmm. this in people's memories. Like sure. didn't want to, you know, you want to move on from a national tragedy, but you don't want to forget about it. And so, I mean, this film I think is an effort to, to do that. Jason, what did you make of it? Yeah, no, it was, it was really good. Um, it was a really interesting viewing experience for me. Um, you know, kind of, it, yeah, like Darcy said, you know, it is, you know, very fantastical, but at the same time, there's a real kind of, uh, it anchors itself into something that's been, you know, very traumatic for, for Japan. And, uh, it deals with lots of different issues. Uh, Darcy also mentioned the, you know, the, the population decline, which very much comes up in the film. And, uh, yeah, it's just so beautiful to, to look at. And whenever I watch a Japanese animation, I'm just, I'm just really struck by a, how creative they are in terms of the visuals, but, but also in terms of, you know, the writing and there's been a long tradition in Japan of, you know, animations dealing with, uh, you know, issues in, in Japanese society and, and the history as well. And just doing it in, in ways that are really, really, mm. Uh, creative and imaginative and I think that's one of the big appeals of anime and that's very much central here so yeah very good film um, and I guess I mean I wasn't really surprised by its death but I was as well I guess <laughs> it was like a 10am screening and I was like oh wow yeah this is a Japanese anime sure. <laughs> uh, I was like okay I need to sit down and get you know get, get comfortable but but also mm. um, very much kind of expecting a, a lot of depth and, and that's exactly what what there is plenty of and so yeah i certainly recommend it very very good very very good animation which i see doing very well here it sounds very impressive jason as i mentioned earlier this is not the first anime to uh perform well at the box office this year we reviewed uh, the first slam dunk a few weeks back and that's been a huge hit amassing close to four million admissions uh so far uh what's behind the interest in these films would you say very briefly yeah, I think there's a few reasons behind it. I think, you know, firstly, there's long been a fan base when it comes to Japanese anim- animation and manga as well. And you see that with the first slam dunk. Um, but the film's actually really great. And uh, I think, you know, in terms of its popularity, first, you know, initially it was men in their, you know, 30s and 40s. But, you know, then it was kind of other kind of parts of the, you know, Korea's demographic going out to see that film. 
uh, and also you know, your name was huge. So, um, so yeah, long been a fan base when it comes to these movies. But but also I think it's interesting looking at the news this week. What's going on in terms of Japan and Korea uh, kind of relations? Mm. And I think they are slowly improving. And I think you know lots of people are heading over to Japan. We're not seeing the boycott that we that we once did under the Moon Jae In administration. So uh, and he, and also uh, even if this love disappears from the world tonight quite a long title um this did really well last the end of last year it was on release for weeks and what was interesting about that film japanese melodrama it was attracting young women so mm. you know it's both female and male audiences going out to check check out these 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 movies okay so that was suzume moving on now to the academy award nominated film tar that's been receiving rave reviews ever since it premiered at the uh, Venice Film Festival last September. Darcy, uh, this stars Kate Blanchett in what is potentially an Oscar-winning role. Uh, what more can you tell us? Yeah, I mean, it's it's an outstanding performance. It's, I mean, it, it does seem to be yeah. either Kate Blanchett or Michelle Yeoh, and probably Kate Blanchett for the Oscar. I mean, we'll find out soon. Uh, but, you know, I mean, she's played a huge range of characters over her career but this is probably one of her most interesting characters that she's been given the opportunity to play and you know she's a, a conductor of the berlin philharmonic um we get kind of a an overview of her career in the the opening uh which is kind of a new yorker style uh you know discussion with a real new yorker uh, <laughs> reporter but uh, you know, a composer, a conductor, someone who has won um, many awards and is celebrated and is clearly talented, like the, the film shows and convinces you of her talent at the same time as it shows you her weaknesses and her darker side and her manipulative nature. Uh, she has complicated relationships with all the people in her life, including mm. the, uh, you know, her family. She lives with another woman and they have a child and that those relationships are complex. Uh, she serves as a, a mentor to a lot of people, but um, as we go further through the film, we get the impression, I mean, it becomes quite clear that uh, you know, those power relationships are quite problematic as well. Mm. Um, and throughout the whole thing, I mean, there it's a long film. It's two hours and 40 minutes long. Mm. Uh, it's very... Um, it has a lot of interesting imagery. It has a lot of interesting kind of dialogue as well. There are some scenes where you just kind of sit down and you have these long exchanges okay. that get quite deep and intellectual, I guess. And, mm. and then others where, um, you know, she has kind of these recurring visions and dreams and, and that's really well done as well. Uh, so it's a complicated film, but impressive. Okay. So Jason, Darcy said it was impressive. Does it live up to the critical hype? Oh yeah, <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Uh, very, very good film. Um, where do I start? Yeah, I mean, it just turns everything on its head in a way. I mean, the film begins with the credits for a start. Um, <laughs> it starts with acknowledgements, and then, <laughs> and then at the end of the credits, at the beginning of the film, you got the director. Um, and there, are, I don't, I don't want to give away too much, but yeah, there are various things in the film that are completely not what I expected. Um, and Kate Blanchett's character, she's just really, it's really complex. When I kind of saw the brief synopsis of this film, I kind of imagined her kind of ranting and raving, and you know, you see the good side and then you see the bad side. But she, her character is a lot more complex than that. Mm. Um, 
you know, she she is quite manipulative, but she's also quite you know, she's attractive. Her personality mm. is really really attractive, um, and it's really alluring. And but there's clearly issues with her character as well. Um, and yeah, and the relationship that she has with those around her, you know, the adopted daughter, her her partner, and those part of her team. Um, I, I kind of thought we'd get a lot of music in the film, but we don't. There's, mm. there's, there's a lot of dialogue <laughs> and it doesn't begin like I thought it would. I thought you just see her kind of doing her thing, you know, as a conductor, but it's actually a talk show. And it's um, and we get to learn a lot about a character just in those right. first couple of minutes, in the first five minutes. And yeah, it's a really well written film and the acting is extraordinary. Darcy, what about you? What do you think? of? Yeah, I, I really didn't know what to expect going into it because... <laughs> Uh, I mean, if you follow the discussion about it online, there are some real supporters of it. There are people who really don't like this film, and they've accused it of kind of both things at once, like that it it portrays her in too positive a way or too negative a way. And, you know, it's connected in some ways with kind of Me Too movements, but not in a way that uh, you can boil down to a single message. Mm. Uh, and I think that's yeah. one of the key things about it is, you know, it's not... A film, it's not a puzzle where you, if you're smart enough, you put it together and then you get the message. Uh, it's so complex that you just have to kind of let it all wash all over you and then take in as much as you can and then try to figure out, you know, what you think about this character at the end. And uh, if you only think positive or negative thoughts, then maybe you kind of miss the point of the film because I think you're supposed to feel, you know, a real conflict within you about, um, yeah. Because, I mean, we we really do kind of gain respect for her, I think, in the sure. course of the film, at the same time as we kind of lose all respect so it, for her. It's a film that really sparks debate then. Yes, definitely. Mm. Okay, yeah, and it ones. deals with, with gender really, really well. Um, and, uh, yeah, no, it gave me a lot to, to think about. Mm. And, uh, yeah, no, it's it's a complex film. It kind of, yeah. Sure. Darcy, what do you make of its chances at the Oscars? Uh, I would give it really good chances for Best, best Actress. Um, mm. I mean, beyond that, I don't think it's really kind of Oscar style. I mean, it's getting a lot of nominations mm. and everything. There, There's always a film every year at the Oscars that gets a lot of nominations and then kind of gets overlooked on the actual night. But but her performance is so strong that I, I don't think they can ignore that. That's true. I think everything, everywhere, all at once is going to, to land <laughs> Best Picture and Best Director. That seems uh, pr- all but guaranteed at this sure. point. And I say Michelle that now. is also <laughs> and next week well. it's all quiet on the Western <laughs> Front that wins Best Picture. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean Michelle Yeoh could, could win Best Actress. Uh, I think I, it's. I think Michelle, in terms of the fact that she'd be the you know the first Asian to win mm. that award, that would be obviously a, a huge breakthrough, a hugely significant moment. Um, but but also Kate Blanchett. I mean. I mean, her performance is just, uh, I mean, it's a masterclass in acting. Okay, we'll wrap it up there. Jason, Darcy, thank you for your reviews as always. And we'll see you again next time. Yep, have a great weekend. Take care. Bye-bye. Wrapping up the week as usual, it's our Friday segment next week from Seoul, where we look ahead to see what's coming up over the next week. And our staff editor, Richard Larkin, 
joins us in the studio now to bring us those previews. Richard, hello. It's good to see you. Hello. Good to see you too. Okay. So what's the first thing we should look out for next week? As you covered on the show earlier this week, President Yoon Suk-yeol will embark on a two-day trip to Japan next Thursday for a summit with Prime Minister Fumio Kishida. President Yoon will visit Japan on Thursday and Friday, accompanied by First Lady Kim Gun-hee. A detailed itinerary has not been finalised, but the hope is for the summit to reinvigorate relations between the two nations. It will be the first such standalone trip to Japan since former President Lee Myung-bak's tour in December 2011. Former President Moon Jae-in visited Osaka in June 2019 to attend the G20 summit. The announcement comes after the government revealed a controversial plan earlier this week to compensate wartime forced labour victims through a domestic foundation. Yes, and because of that, this summit promises to be one of the most significant moments of uh, President Yoon's time in office so far. So all eyes will be on what comes out of that summit. Okay, moving on. What else is happening next week? South Korean Foreign Minister Park Jin will meet with his Polish counterpart next week to hold talks on ways to step up bilateral cooperation and other pending issues. The Polish Foreign Minister is set to visit Seoul on Monday to Wednesday, and according to the Korean Ministry's spokesperson, Im Soo-suk, Park will exchange views on a wide range of issues of mutual concern. Issues include their bilateral ties, practical cooperation, and cooperation on the international stage. Poland has been boosting its defence partnership with Seoul and intensifying arms procurement efforts in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Yes, and this trip comes after South Korea's defence minister visited Poland last month as well, so it looks like the two countries are continuing to step up their cooperation. OK, let's uh, look at one more. What else do we need to look out for next week? We are roughly a couple of weeks away from the South Korean men's national team's first test under new manager Jürgen Klinsmann. There have been questions raised about the German coach's tactical approach, and on Monday we will be able to get a better idea of his plan as the squad that will be selected for the two upcoming friendlies will be announced. The Tegut Warriors will face Colombia and Uruguay on March 24th and 28th, respectively. And Klinsmann has said that he promises to bring an aggressive style of play. So all eyes will be on Monday's announcement to see if there are any surprise changes. Yes, we'll likely cover that on our show on Monday for our weekly sports roundup. We'll see who has or hasn't been included in the squad. That's all for next week from Seoul. Richard, thank you for those previews and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Have a good weekend. And that's our show for today. Join us again on Monday for all the latest from Korea. Till then, we hope you have a great weekend. I've been your host, Kwon jang and thank you as always for listening. Goodbye. KBS World Radio.